Welcome everyone to the Grinded Podcast. Nipsey Hussle is going to bring us in just a little bit with Grinding All My Life. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle paid the price. Want a slice, got the roll of dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Uh. It's time to hit this rail we call life and grind it. Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. Today we're going to be covering Acts chapter 4. Um, and just want to uh, go over what we talked about a little bit in Acts chapter 3 and how Peter and John had decided to go to the temple uh, for the 3 o'clock prayer service. And as they were going into the, the gate called Beautiful, they run into this uh, lame man who has been lame. He has not been able to walk. He's not even been able to stand up at all his entire life and he's sitting there and he's begging people for for money and in Acts chapter 4 it tells us that he is somewhere in, in his 40s so somewhere maybe close to my age I'm 48 years old um, he had been lame for 48 years can you imagine that never been able just to even stand up you know we, we take so many things for granted and I, and I pray that you're in good health and, and you do not take your health for granted but this guy was at the gate uh, beautiful uh, his, someone in his family or some friends or whoever would come and set him or lay him by the gate so he could uh, beg people for money and um, Peter and John as they're walking into the gate they see this lame man and 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 they said well, sir I, we don't have any kind of money but, but what I do have, or what we do have, I'm going to give it to you. And, and Peter reaches out his hand and grabs the man by his arm. And he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And immediately, the man stands up on his own two feet for the first time in over 40 years. He has never, ever stood on his own two feet. And, and if you know anybody who is disabled and, and they've been disabled for a long time or maybe for all their life, their body is small. Their body, their, their muscles and their joints and never worked. And so they've never been able to, to work out or, or build muscles just by living everyday life. And so their, their frame is smaller than, than your uh, average person. And so immediately this man's body took on muscle, the, the tendons, everything had to operate as in function as a normal person who, who, who does not have, uh, who's never been lame. And so it, it, it just immediately when Peter reaches out his hand and grabs his arm and pulls him to his feet, he is able to stand on his own two feet. It, it's, it's such a wonderful thing. And then the next thing you know, he begins to walk. This man has never walked in his life. People who even know how to walk and who have been injured, they have to uh, relearn, if you will, how to walk. This man has never walked and he's able to stand on his own two feet and then he begins to walk and as he begins to take steps and he starts walking, all of a sudden he just starts leaping up in the air and he's praising God and he's so excited and the people see uh, what what is, has taken place and this crowd starts to gather and, and as the crowd, uh, as word spreads, the crowd just starts to get bigger and bigger and about this lame man's healing and people are coming to see the lame man who is now healed. He is up, he, he, they're on Solomon's porch there at the temple 
They never make it to the prayer meeting. Cause we'll see here in just a minute what happens because Peter and John actually get arrested. But the this this lame man is holding on to Peter and John. And so I guess he's just standing in, in between the two. And, and, and this crowd just con continues to gather and gather. And all these people just are coming to, to see what has taken place. And so as we talked about in the last podcast, Peter takes advantage of the opportunity and he preaches, he preaches to the people about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And he lets the people know up front that it is Jesus who healed this man and not them and how they needed to repent of their sins and give their lives to Jesus. And it says uh, that the, the number of the people who, uh, there were a number of people who believed the message and they were baptized. And it says that the number of believers in Acts chapter 4 totals around 5,000 and that was just the count of men. That did, did not include women and Children, so there's probably around seven to eight thousand believers in Acts chapter four. So while Peter and John were talking to this crowd that had gathered, they're confronted by the religious leaders. In verses one through three, it says that they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus. There is a resurrection of the dead. So in other words, they're, they're upset that they're offering people hope <laughs> that death is not the end. And so they arrested them, verse 3, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until the morning. So it, it's kind of like our governments, if you will. The, the, in Judaism, back in the Bible days, uh, the, they had two main religious sects. Uh, it, it was uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I'll just tell you a little bit about them. You can Google them if you want and to learn more. Um, the Sadducees were the more conservative group in the doctrinal, doctrinal area. They insisted on the, the literal interpretation uh, of the text of Scripture. And the Pharisees, on the other hand, they gave oral tradition equal authority to the written word of God. And that, that, that's when a lot of times they would be so upset with Jesus' disciples. And they would say, your disciples don't do this and they don't do that. Well, what the Pharisees were having a problem with was that they were not keeping their traditions. Because what they would do is they interpreted uh, the Mosaical law and they made their interpretations just as important and bound them on the people just like the laws. And so that's one of the biggest differences with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Um, the two groups argued over certain doctrines. For example, the Sadducees rejected a belief in the resurrection of the dead, which we just read. Uh, and there's, all, there's other passages you can look at. Uh, Matthew 22, 23, Mark 12, 18 through 27, Acts 23, verse 8. Um, but the Pharisees did believe in the resurrection. Uh, the Sadducees denied the afterlife, holding that the soul perished at death. But the Pharisees believed in an afterlife and in an appropriate reward and punishment for individuals. Uh, the Sadducees rejected the idea of the unseen spiritual wor uh, world, but the Pharisees taught that the, the existence of angels and demons in a spiritual realm, that, 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 that demons and angels existed. The Sadducees did not believe that angels and demons existed, which is kind of uh, weird because there were demons being 
people were being possessed by demons when Jesus was walking around and he would cast out the demons. Even when the apostles were taking over control of the church, of God's kingdom here on earth, and, and, and they were able to cast out demons. So how could the Sadducees not believe uh, that there were you know angels and demons? Uh, so it's kind of weird. But anyway, so going back to Acts chapter 4, some Sadducees didn't like what they're hearing from Peter and John. They didn't like the fact that they were teaching the people about the resurrection. That was the bigger, the biggest hang-up for them. In fact, because they were teaching people about the resurrection, they're going to arrest Peter and John. And, they're go and since it's evening time, they're going to put them in jail overnight. And I, it, this is the way I think when I'm reading the Bible. M my mind just gets uh, to wondering sometimes. And I, I wonder... What, what was their conversation while they were in, in that jail uh, all night long? Did, you know, was it something like this? Or did they just say, you know, dude, can you, can you believe that we're in this jail because God healed a man through us and all we were doing is, is standing at the temple and, and telling people about the salvation, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and you know, they're not very far removed from what happened to Jesus. Not maybe a couple of months at, at best, uh, and, and so maybe they're talking about you know what is going on and what had just happened and how God healed that man instantly on the spot and how that guy's never walking in his life and how that man is standing there with them and this crowd gathered and 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 just how that they preached with such boldness and, and and just all the awesome things that God is doing through them. Maybe that's the discussion that they had. But what, what I want you to see is how they are full of boldness. It's much different than the way they were before the Holy Spirit fell on them in Acts chapter 2. Because even though they're not far removed from when Jesus was crucified and resurrected, they're also not far removed from when Peter denied Jesus three times. And he didn't have that boldness like he has here now. So the next day comes, and, and Peter and John, they're brought before the religious leaders, and we're given the names. Listen to these names. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas. That should, both of those should sound very familiar. John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. It was the big dogs of their day, if you will. In fact, Annas and Caiaphas, the reason why I said that they should sound familiar, because they were the priests that actually had Jesus crucified. And, 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 and so what they're doing here is, is they are, they're showing uh, their power. They're showing their authority. They're, they're trying an intimidation tactic, if you will. Because they, they're asking Peter and John, by what power or in whose name have you done this thing? They're trying to intimidate, if you will, Peter and John. I mean, after all, look what they did to Jesus. And so they, they could literally be saying, look who we are. Look what we did to Jesus. And you're trying to tell me that you're doing this in the name of Jesus. We crucified that guy. And we're going to do the same thing to you if you don't stop what you're doing. Who do you think you are? Who gave you the authority to do this? That's what the religious leaders, that's what Caiaphas and, and, and Annas, they, they want to know. Who do you think you are? And see, this is what God does. God takes ordinary, average, everyday people just like you and me. 
like Peter and John, they were fishermen for their all their lives. It's all they knew. And yet he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You follow me. And he fills them with the Holy Spirit, and he gives them all kinds of, of boldness, and, and, they, and they can do miracles, and, and they can preach about the kingdom of God. This is what God does. He takes ordinary, everyday, average people, just like you and me, and he fills us with his Spirit, just the same Holy Spirit that they have, the same Holy Spirit. And he makes people like you and me a new person in Jesus. He gives us a new purpose or he even gives us a purpose for life. He gives us talents to use for his kingdom, to, to glorify him. And, and, and he'll use us, people like you and me, to grow his kingdom and to glorify himself. Satan, on the other hand, he tries to discourage the new person in Christ with every tactic he can. He, he doesn't want us, he doesn't want... Uh, me and you uh, producing fruit for the kingdom of God. He he wants us. He wants you and me to be discouraged. He wants us to be disappointed. He wants us to be depressed, because that way your attention is going to be off of Jesus and onto whatever situation that is around you. You know you're not as an uh, effective uh, for the church or for the kingdom, if you will. So he tries to discourage us. He wants us to be a coward for Christ and not a conqueror for Christ. But I want to remind you of 1 John 4, 4, when John says, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Well, we know who's in the world. That's Satan. Right now, he's the ruler of this world. But his day is coming. And and and. We are filled with the Spirit of God if we belong to Christ. We are conquerors in Christ. We already have the victory. John says, you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won the victory over those people because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. You are filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that Peter and John had here in Acts chapter 4. Never, ever forget that. You already have the victory. Walk in it. Let's take a break. My name is Dinah Grace Hawk, and I started a movement of empowerment. I focus on Revelation 12:11, which states that we will overcome, conquer, and defeat him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And we will not love our own lives, even unto death. See, sharing testimony squashes pride. It empowers, it strengthens, it encourages, and it heals. This whole movement is focused on sharing our testimony, our walk with the Lord, how He's using us in this life to empower others to do the same. By doing this, we will overcome anything that this world can throw at us because we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Every week from now till the end of the year, I'll be highlighting a different woman in the ministry, and they're going to share their testimony. Tune in every Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern, either on Facebook or Instagram at Dinah Grace Hawk. And you get to be a part of this movement, too. I'll see you there. So despite being ordinary people, and the way that the religious leaders describe Peter and John, they call them unlearned and ignorant men. But 
I'm a little bit nicer. I just say they were ordinary people like you and me. They they didn't have a college degree. They didn't have a a a, a degree from a, a, a biblical university or a Bible college. They 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 didn't they they didn't study the Bible for years and years uh, like these religious leaders have done. They were just ordinary people that allowed God to use them, and and and. God had filled them with the Holy Spirit just as Jesus had promised them way back in John chapter 14. And here we see how they are filled with this boldness and this confidence all because they've been filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. In verses 8 through 12, it says, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's the key. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit says to the rulers and the elders, he says, rulers and elders of our people, Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? In other words, what's the big deal? This man was crippled, and we did a good deed for him. God healed him through us. What's wrong with that? And so he says, do you want to know how this man was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Now listen to this. The man who you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. So Peter knows very well that these are the men who had Jesus put to death. And he just slaps them. You really want to know how he was healed? I'll tell you how he was healed. I will tell you clearly how he was healed. He was healed by the man that you crucified and God raised up from the dead. His powerful name. He says in verse 11, For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And I love this verse here that Peter quotes to these people because they would be very familiar with what Peter is saying here. And you can see how they... Peter was filled with such boldness. And like I said earlier, we're not too far removed from the crucifixion and and the resurrection of Jesus, which means that is when Peter had denied Jesus three times. And and so he wasn't filled with boldness back then. But now, since Acts chapter 2 happened and the Holy Spirit has come down, just like Jesus said it would from the Father, the, the promise is here. And they're filled with the Spirit. They're filled with boldness and 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 confidence. And so he just lays into them. You are the one that crucified Jesus. And God is the one who raised him up and made him the cornerstone. And so in Acts 4, 16-22, the religious leaders, they're just looking at each other and they say, what should we do with these men? They ask each other. We can't deny that they performed a miraculous sign. No, you can't because everybody knows this man has been lame for over 40 years and all of a sudden he's standing up and he's walking around and he's talking to people. And so he says, we can't deny they performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it because word is spread like wildfire. But to keep them from spreading the propaganda any further, that's what they... They, they call the church, or they call the kingdom here, or calling what they're talking about in Jesus' name, they're calling Jesus propaganda. Uh, but we don't want them to keep spreading their propaganda any further. We must warn them not to speak in, to anyone in Jesus' name again. And so they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, now see, here, here's the boldness again. Do you think that God wants us to obey you rather than him? 
We cannot stop telling people about everything we have seen and heard. And then the council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. And they did not want the Jew, they did not want the uh, the Roman authorities to get wind of anything that was going on. They didn't want the the Roman authorities to come in into their territories, and so they let them go. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than forty years. These well-educated, well-trained, powerful religious leaders could do nothing. They were powerless against Jesus, against these apostles. They called them unlearned and ignorant men. They were ordinary, everyday people just like you and me who let God use them. And Here's what it says at the end of verse 14. It says, They also recognized them, Peter and John, they also recognized them as men who have been with Jesus. A question I want to ask you is that can people recognize that you have been with Jesus? The religious leaders had no choice, but they had to let Peter and John go. They're, they're afraid of the crowd. They didn't want. Uh, 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 they didn't want to start a riot because, you know, like I said a while ago, that would get the Roman authorities involved. So they release them. They let them go. And then we have the first recorded prayer in Acts chapter four, verses twenty-three through thirty. And it says, "As soon as they were free, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said." And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. And then you can read their prayer in the rest of that chapter. It says, O sovereign Lord, creator of the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Where, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers gather together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats. And give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. In other words, we're not going to stop. Just like Peter and John told the religious leaders, we ain't stopping. Because we're going to obey God and not you. We're going to do what God wants us to do because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're filled with boldness and we have confidence. And then they say, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then in verse 31, listen to what happens after they finish the prayer. It says, after this prayer, the meeting place, the place where they had gathered and they were saying this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness because the unity behind their prayer, the place where they were staying at, shook from the power of God. And in verses 32 through 37, it, it, it starts off like this. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. And what they did was they sold all their possessions. They sold their land, their homes, or whatever. They got to keep all of it, but they took the money and they pulled the money together and, and gave it to the apostles so that when anybody had a need, 
that they can meet the need. That is the the power of unity. That's what unity is all about. The believers were united in heart and in mind. And and just real quickly in this last few minutes, I I just want to talk about unity and and the power that is in unity. If you go and read uh, Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, that is the story of the Tower of Babel. And, and, and here's what the people say. Come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. And this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Verse 5 says, But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing, nothing set out to do will be impossible for them. Nothing that they set out to do will be impossible for them. That is the power of unity. So what God does is he confuses them by making them have different languages so they can't understand each other and the people scatter. But the power, God says, here, here's what the power of unity is like. When people work together, there's nothing they put their minds to that they can't do. And that, that's what God says. And so he scattered them. There, there's so much power and unity and the early church had this unity they had they had it going on for a while now this is going to get uh complicated here in the next chapter in the next couple of chapters actually and you can just look at you know where it's come to today we'll talk about that here in just a second but i i, I used to build houses in north carolina when i, I was preaching at this little church and so I, i've uh, always been bivocational and when i was preaching and and i would have to have a second income uh, because the churches were so small and didn't pay a whole lot of money. And so I, I was building houses at a church I preached at in North Carolina. And, and, you know, we had a goal, and that goal was to build this house. And so we would have these blueprints to look at. And, and what we did was we, we worked toward this one goal. We worked together, and we took parts of these blueprints, and we... You know, we started with the foundation and we built the floor and, and, and you know, then we built the walls and we put the roof on it. And then we went inside and, you know, and, and after you got it in the dry and you finish it out. But, you know, it, all it took was for one person to get upset and get mad and say, I, I don't like the way this part of this house looks. I, I think I'm going to do it different. And he could go get a, a, a bulldozer or a traco or some kind of machinery and just come up to that house and just start leveling it to the ground. And say, I'm going to build it the way I want to. And see, that, that, that's what happens in our churches today. We, we disagree with somebody or we disagree with this person. Or we disagree the way this is done and we think it should be done like this. And so instead of working together for the one common goal, and that's to get to heaven and take as many people as we can with us, we, we, we become bigger than, than the goal. We become selfish, and, and so it, it's just it's no different than if somebody in the crew was to, to to tear down part of the house after all that hard work that we had done, and you know go against the blueprints, even though the blueprints say do it this way. Well, I'm going to do it the way I want to. I think it should look like this. I think this should be done instead. And so all of a sudden, you don't have the unity anymore. You just have a lot of chaos and confusion. And we see that all the time in our churches today is because somebody decides they don't want to do it this way. They don't want to be in unity. They want to do it their way. You have families who uh, have money. You have 
uh, people who think they are higher up on the social status. But let me tell you something. In the church, at the cross, it's all equal playing field. There is no higher social status. There, 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 it, it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter what kind of clothes you wear. It don't matter whose name is on the label. It doesn't even matter if you have a label. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. When you are at the cross, you are equal with the same person that's next to you and on down the line. Listen to what Galatians uh, Paul says in Galatians 3, 26 through 29. He says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. Like putting on new clothes, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You are all one there's the unity. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. That's what unity is all about. And there is power in unity. And we, we just don't see this, this kind of power in the church today because we had, over the years, in the past years, we have been split up into so many denominations and so many flavors. Then you have so many splits inside that that flavor or that denomination. You know, this person can't stand this person that's sitting in the uh, on the other side of the pew from them or on the other side of the, the church. You know, so we come up with all these different gimmicks. We we have billion dollar budgets or million dollar budgets. We got these fancy buildings and we got all these fancy lights and we put on these concerts and we got the fog machines and we got the best preacher that can preached the, the smoothest message, you know, and he's got the certain look. And, and we do everything that we can to draw people in. You know, none of that matters. If you don't have unity, you don't have power. And when the gimmicks stop, where's the people going to go? If they're not being entertained, they ain't coming because there's no power. But when we have unity and we see the power of God move, people are drawn to God and not to gimmicks. And and, and I, I just want to reiterate before we go, the power that is in unity. And let me show, give you just real quickly what a, a, a great example of unity looks like. If you go read the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, Nehemiah was allowed to return and rebuild uh, the walls in Jerusalem. And the way he set that up was he, he took families and he gave every family an assignment. You work on this part of the wall. And you know what happened? That family would do their part and they would work on their part of the wall. And when they got finished with their part, they went and they would help another family who was still working on their part of the wall. And I believe they finished that wall in like 52 days. And, th and I'm talking, this is a huge, huge wall, real thick. And all these stones. And, and if you know anything about construction, rebuilding something that's already been built is a pain in the butt. And, and, and But they got it done. Their goal was to rebuild the wall. And that's exactly what they did because everybody did their part. That is unity. And there's power in unity. And I'm telling you, until the church gets unified. And how are we unified? In Christ. So we can't even agree on how to get to Christ.
you know, do I baptize in this name or do I say this or do I baptize this way? Do I sprinkle? Do I immerse? Do I just sling water on somebody? Do I even get baptized? At all? We, we can't even agree on that until we find unity in Christ. We will not have the power. But when we do find that unity and we're all unified, working for the common goal, and that's to get to heaven and to take as many people as we can with us and we're sharing our faith, we will be filled with boldness because God is going to work through us and in us and He's going to fill us with the confidence that we need and the boldness that we need to proclaim Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ is lifted up and glorified and, 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 and we're doing His purpose and not our purpose, which is unity, right? We're working together and not against one another. Man, God is going to move in a mighty way. And that's exactly what we need in our world today. This world is, is sad. It's so divided. People are so discouraged and filled with depression. Satan is just having his way because he is the ruler of this world for right now. And so there's enough of that, that crap in the world. The church, God's people, need to come together for the common goal, and that's to tell people about Jesus and get people to heaven. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be unified for the cause of Christ? Please. Just like the families that rebuilt the wall in Nehemiah's day, do your part and do it God's way. Lift up the name of Jesus and not yourself. Do Take your talents that God has given you and use them, you know, not for your own glorification. Nobody cares how, you know, how many instruments you can play or how good you are. God doesn't care about that stuff. God doesn't care how much money you have. God cares about people getting to heaven. That is the main purpose. And Jesus is the focal point, not you. Aim for unity. Aim for the goal. And that is to build God's kingdom. Do your part and be unified with Jesus. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Grind It Podcast today. You can send any questions or comments to grinditpodcast at gmail.com. Please join us next time, and when a challenge comes your way, just my, grind it. Been grinding all my life, sacrifice, hustle, pay the price, want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why, all my life, I've been grinding all my life, yeah. all my life.